Welcome to this week's episode of Watch New Evil. This is Matt. And this is Zach. And welcome to season six of Watch No oh, Evil. We're what? starting off this is season what? seven. <laughs> no. Yeah, right? No. Am I losing my mind? Did I do season six by myself? Watch New Evil's back for season five, Friday the 13th, and that went through to The Exorcist. Season six. No. Season six is starting off with a little appetizer of the menu. This is season seven. This is season seven. I just I've hate when I'm right. <laughs> I've been doing wrong the whole the whole last season. All of last season was actually season five. Dude, I just went back and read the descriptions of our past episodes. I just typed "watch no evil" into Google as if that would help me. <laughs> 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 like Google knows more about our podcast than we do. <laughs> yeah, I gotta check the Wikipedia. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Watch New Evil. This is Matt, and this is Zach, and welcome to season seven of Watch New Evil. Definitely not season six, and <laughs> definitely not season five. Today, we're going to be talking about the 2010 supernatural horror film Insidious. Directed by James Wan and starring the magnanimous Patrick Wilson, who showed up in all of your favorite movies, including The Conjuring and Aquaman. (laughs) This movie follows Josh and Renee Lambert, a couple with two boys who are suddenly encountering uh, mysterious demons slash ghosts when their uh, oldest son, Dalton, falls into a coma after falling off a very, very short ladder in the attic. The next... Journey is a is a harrowing tale of fatherly love and the depths that people will delve to protect their family, as well as astral projection and Lin Shay. <laughs> and Lin Shay, who talks mostly just about astral projection. Also, don't forget about their daughter. Oh, they do have a daughter who is named after the Loch Ness Monster. No, that's Twilight. Anyway, what? they have a daughter who's also being kind of haunted but it's more the oldest son, so we're going to deal with that. Also, the mom knew the whole time and didn't say anything. I think that that's the real tragedy. So, Zach, you're a parent. How does this movie make you feel now as a parent? Honestly, the baby stuff, like the the possible baby abduction, was like a little more upsetting. But like because I've seen this movie so many times and I love it, I'm just like, I can forgive it for that. It's fine. Um, also, it's a horror movie, so like I should be upset by that, right? Everyone should be. It's a child. Yeah, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that, uh, you know, children. one of the... Th- that's... Um, Only kind of true. I hate certain children. Uh, <laughs> I just hate this one kid. His name is Josh. I hate, this, I, I hate this one... There's this one kid who, as an adult, is my arch enemy. Um, no, as a... As a I, I enjoy working with kids because i'm a teacher and that's one of the things about being a teacher and being a teacher and a slight pivot uh (laughs) renee playing the piano (laughs) yeah and singing and singing which i think was for me the movie's way of telling me to fuck off exclusively 
um, I what I what I really think is interesting about that particular scene and that character is it it comes back in the sequel much much stronger than it plays out in this particular film but mm-hmm. she has the book the book that is um, self-healing through music and she's using the piano and music as a way of dealing with some kind of trauma but we don't ever actually get to see what that trauma is which I think is is really fascinating and as well there's a, a vapidness to the lyrics uh, of the song which she's yeah singing which is just about looking in different directions which is so funny to me uh because it talks about like looking west and i do want to i do wonder uh if this was kind of peppered into the scenes in dalton's room because the directions that she mentions in the song are up and west and up is where the demon is on the ceiling and the western wall is where all of the pictures of Dalton astral projecting that he drew are. Hold up. And it's like, oh, if you take a look at those walls. How do you know that's what? west? <laughs> this is a movie, Matt. How do you know that that's west? It's the western wall. And when I say western wall, I mean. Like it's to the left. It's to the left. Okay. Yes. I'll buy that. All directions in houses are cardinal. So <laughs> <laughs> You're just always if pointing you, north. <laughs> Yes, you always, because you have no sense of direction and you have no sense of scale. And I don't remember ever seeing, like, the sun rising over the house. And also, we don't know which room Dalton is located in when they move rooms. So as far as we know, the headboard is true north from the door and the wall is to the left, which is the west. Okay. And I think that if you read it as... She's singing this song and then she's not doing the thing that the song says until they do the thing that the song says. And all of a sudden, Patrick Wilson is like, oh, gosh, now I believe that my son is being haunted by a demon and can astral project. And I mean, the son was being extremely clear about what was going on with that whole thing. (laughs) Like, he's got the picture that's just like, I had dream and then i floated out of my body (laughs) and up to the air i watched myself sleep and then i left and it's like all right yeah so that's classic textbook astral projection (laughs) yeah it's like okay so this is what's happening and then he's got like the demon pictures which i do think that specs was better just a better artist but i can't fault him for that he's got experience though he's got a little bit of experience he's had to draw so many demons if you try to ask him to shade in a cube he fails he falters um (laughs) so yeah let's talk about dalton here because like he's kind of sure because i could keep just roasting the characters (laughs) (laughs) i mean so yeah i mean i have a lot of love for this movie but like after watching and analyzing so many other movies like it's not flawless, right? There's, there are some things and like, there's a little bit of goofiness to it at some points that I feel like is kind of like a stamp of James Wan, but like Dalton in particular is just a weird character. Cause it's like, okay, he's kind of the central, like, Oh my gosh, I'm astral projecting. He's lost. Like he's the one that's kind of the host of the, the possible demon coming into the, the world. But yeah. also he just seems too old for like the childishness like, this kid seems like he's probably, like, what, 11-ish? 10, 11? Yeah. And it's, like, he's playing superhero, and, like, he's got the cape on. And it's just, like, a little bit... There's, like, this uncanniness to it that's just, like, I don't think that this would happen. <laughs> you know? Interesting. 
I think that you can't fault children for their development and the pace of their development, and I think that it's bad of you to try and do that. <laughs> uh, no, it so- just doesn't, to me, it doesn't, it's <laughs> like, I don't know, maybe he just looks older than he is, or whatever, and like, I, no, no judgment there, but like, I just don't buy that that character should be acting that way is really what I'm trying to say. I definitely, I I think that you have a point to be made there and I could continue to roast you as well. But uh, to your point, I think that also you have to deal with the fact that children in movies age so quickly uh, during the development process and they go through so many changes that at some point you just have to call it and say, this is what we're doing, this is who we have. And the amount of time between audition and production could have been like, oh yeah, Dalton grew seven and a half inches so we're dealing with that well and uh, and wasn't then, this so like this and insidious 2 was like planned and like yeah. storyboarded at the same time right so like maybe there may to your point maybe there was like a delay there with them starting to actually film yeah so i i think that when you have that kind of uh issue it comes up it just it's what they were dealing with and this movie didn't have like the most budget possible they they did this on a remarkably small budget for how much it's grossed and the legacy that it's kind of uh created so i i think that yeah with the kid especially he's a little bit older his actions are a little bit odd but that also could partially be like direction and an issue of direction because we talked about while we were watching the movie do you think that they give those kids a lot of direction or do you think they just hand them two disparate toys and say (laughs) make them fight (laughs) yeah that was something where like he's got like a little like he's got a dinosaur and a minecraft sword it's yeah it's like yeah it's like we we give him two two toys now it was like we were watching this, and I'm just like, do you think that it's more common for directors to say, here are two toys, like, just play. <laughs> like, just, just, do, just do... Just yeah, do something. Do what do you something would just a kid would do. normally do. Or it's like, you should play with these two objects in this very specific way. <laughs> Which seems really weird, but, like, I'm sure, in, especially in horror movies, like, toys do creepy things sometimes in horror movies. Like, I'm sure it is something that happens. There's just something weird to think about, but... And I imagine that it's it's entirely dependent. <clears throat> I think it's entirely dependent on the child actor too, because if you give like any person total and free liberty, they very well may just freeze up and not really know what to do. Mm-hmm. But if you give them too many directions, and especially I think that this is true of children, the directions then start to overwhelm what you're actually supposed to do, and then it starts to feel and visually show off as very forced. And I kind of think that that's the issue with Dalton in that scene in particular. It looks like he doesn't really know what to do. (laughs) He's like, these are toys. This is how I play with toys. Playing. Also, like, they made that kid just wolf spaghetti at the end. Yeah. Which, I gotta say, you don't get to solid food that fast. <laughs> if you've been in a coma for months. That's true. You don't you don't come out of a coma and go, you know what? I would like spaghetti. I haven't swallowed also, food in almost a year, but... <laughs> I haven't swallowed, yeah, legitimate solid food, but I would like... I would like it a spaghetti mama. <laughs> and, and, and then you have to think about, like, the, the fact that Dalton wakes up and she had to boil pasta. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was leftovers. You don't know. 
I don't think that that's as funny. <laughs> I don't know. Giving and, him leftover spaghetti as like his first real meal in like a year. That's kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> like you didn't cook him a new meal. Like get him takeout. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. I think that it's it's funny as well to like look at the parallels between the beginning and the end. I don't know why I said funny. I think that it's interesting to look at the parallels between the beginning and the end of the movie because the first time that we see Renee and Dalton together, she's uh, sitting on the floor and he's sitting on her lap and they have like the book in front of them and they're looking at pictures. And then at the end, he's sitting on her lap again and eating food. And I think that he's actually in the same pajamas. He's in the same pair of um, monkey with banana pajamas, which how awful is it that Renee and Dalton have matching pajamas, but she doesn't have those matching pajamas with her other child, nor with maybe nor they just the weren't husband. wearing them. Because you know, like people do some like weird like matching pajama like Christmas card pictures sometimes. Like maybe it's I would like something like that. <laughs> I disagree. I think that that other child is so ancillary. Well, so like, they kind of make a point out of that, right? Because he gets, like, his little award, and you, like, she finds it, like, crumpled up in the corner of his bedroom, and she's like, this is from today. And it, you get this impression that this kid is like, well, I'm not a baby, and I'm not in a coma, so, like, why should I get attention? Yeah. And you do, I think Poor you are Foster. supposed to be able to feel bad for him. Yeah. What's his name? You just said it, Foster. Damn it. I hoped you weren't listening. Are you, are, just... is your, are you implying, like, he's, like, a foster child to them? <laughs> It's, no, I that just breaks down to the imply second that, one. <laughs> that you don't listen to me. Um, <laughs> you literally just said it. <laughs> I know, but I didn't think you would listen. So the thing with Foster is that he's like a foster child in that he doesn't get the attention that he deserves. No, he like doesn't show up at all. And I think that one of the, the crimes of this particular movie is Dalton and Foster seemingly based on like the, the opening scene have a solid brotherly relationship there's a lot of interaction there and i think that the movie misses out on a lot of the pathos and the potential of exploring the relationship between those two brothers especially foster feeling suddenly very neglected but also having the guilt of his brother being in a coma and we just totally gloss over that like completely i think that the victorian boy gets more screen time <laughs> <laughs> he might actually uh but I think that I, I would wonder if there's like they had material that was a little bit more focused on Foster, but just didn't include it because like he does kind they of didn't. act as like, a oh, creepy things are happening. You know, like he says, I don't like when Dalton walks around at night. I feel like he's really just there to be like the creepily aware child. You know, as we yeah. see the, the trope that we see a lot in horror movies. Be because they need at least one child to be lucid so that he can say odd prophetic things. Right, exactly. <laughs> and and he does play, we should say, like, he does play a much larger role in the sequel. So it also, like, is a nuclear family. Right. Well, they, I don't know. You could you could have a quote unquote modern nuclear family if you, you know, just kept it to Dalton baby. Mom, dad. No. Add a dog in there. Then I think that you have to have. I think you have to have two sons. <laughs> Horror movies famously always have to have two sons because you have the good son and you have the not good son. That's not always the case, though. 
<laughs> Name one movie that doesn't have two children. You said two sons. Name one movie that doesn't have two sons. Halloween. There's not even one son. There is one son. It's fucking Michael Myers. <laughs> that doesn't count. What? <laughs> he kills that his sister. He's the bad different. son. There's no good son. Because that the movie is focused on him. And there are so many, so many movies. The Exorcist, where there are only children. <laughs> That's a daughter. And zero sons. What's your point? And zero sons. <laughs> My point is that they needed both of the sons. For the second one, yeah. I, I'm not saying yeah. they should have gotten rid of so, him. I'm just saying I'm trying to, like, justify his lack of screen time in this movie. Yeah, I do. I am also glad that, like, they did the right thing in the horror universe of being like, hey, some wacky, goofy shit's going on. We're going to send this child to a different place. And... Where do they send him? Grandma's. And then, do you know who shows up at the house? Grandma. <laughs> Grandma, without Foster. Are we just supposed to forget that? He's at school. <laughs> He's old enough for school. It's at night. I'm talking about the ending when Patrick Wilson, whose character is a character, Josh, that's it, <laughs> murders Lynch. Like, that is still at night, and Grandma's in the kitchen Walt watching Dalton just inhale spaghetti. Yeah, I don't know. Well, because then the baby's not around there either, too. So, like, yeah, you just exactly. have to assume so, that someone's watching them. <laughs> so Foster is having to watch the baby. I think that that's a lot of responsibility to put on a child. <laughs> I don't think that's what's happening. But, I mean, to your point here, it the movie starts out being, like, more about the kids, and then it really turns into being all about Patrick Wilson and it kind does. of about Dalton at the end. So... And, and, like, that's kind of how the rest of the <laughs> the franchise goes, honestly. Yeah. So it is a little strange but that, that it goes that way. But I think that it's actually, like, kind of a neat twist. And, like, I'm, I'm remembering when I first saw this movie, like, this is one of the movies that changed my perception of horror mm -hmm. when it came out. Because it was like, oh, this isn't just, like, a kid, like, you know, getting possessed by a demon like we've seen before. Right? This is, like... Right. This is a whole other thing. There is a reason why the demon is after the kid. There's a reasoning behind, like, these evil forces. And, like, I like this idea of astral projection, like, leaving the body open to these evil forces. But also, I think the name of the further is really stupid. <laughs> oh, I, oh, okay. What? I like, I you like, like the it? name. I like the further because I like that they have something. No, I, I like that they had, like, I like that there is this realm, but, like, you could even call it, like, the dark world or, like, the dark dimension or something. Okay, that... so, so, so that's paranormal activity, and I think that's stupid. <laughs> I don't know, because, like, yes, it does sound stupid, but at least it's, like, cliched on a I level like... that isn't, like, the further. <laughs> For I like the further. I don't I like don't, it. I, that's so interesting, because I think that it's, it has, like, the implication of, of distance, yes, but also it 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 says afterlife without saying heaven slash hell slash purgatory. I don't think it's afterlife. It's just like a spirit world. Oh, oh yeah, you're absolutely right. It's not the afterlife. There's a lot of dead people there, but it's like a place that some of those people showed up in. Like yeah, like some of, like after their life. Yeah, and there's also demons there. Like, this is where uh, the red-faced demon is, so... I think that he's from hell. 
I think that the red door is, that's the door to hell. Elise does say he's wandered too far, right? Implying that, too far. that the red door is like kind of beyond the further, which I hate myself yeah. for saying that phrase. But yeah, so like, uh, I don't know. It, but it could also, be. it's not too far. It's in the attic. <laughs> it's like, they just happen. It's, it's in the attic. It's in the attic, in that world. It, I think that it would appear differently to anyone who's in it. It's like the, the, in this astral world, I think the red door is like just symbolic of like a portal. It's not like yeah. you are actually going through the house and like it's it's all symbolic of some kind of like journey through this world rather than like a physical manifestation of the house, like an actual thing in this world. I, I disagree. And here's my point, and here's why I think this. It's because they're at the first house, Dalton falls off, goes into the coma, the red door is in the attic, goes through it. They move houses, mm -hmm. and Dalton is in the new house. But for Josh to be able to find Dalton, he has to trek back to the original house first to get to the door in the attic. So I think that temporally and geographically the red door is actually in that house in the further <laughs> in in the further yes yeah because he has to go all the way back he has to get back to yeah yeah no it's old, so old haunted house my my point and i understand what you're saying my point is that that's where it is for dalton and for josh to find dalton that's where he has to go so like they end up having the same experience but that's metaphorical. Yeah, exactly. Because we do get that in sequels, right? Josh goes to the further in the second one and is, like, kind of trapped there. Yeah, but he doesn't have a red door. Yeah, it's, again, like, it's symbolic of, like, this is... That red door, I think, represents a barrier of, like, this is how... Or this is where Dalton has gone too far. Well, you, you know... You don't have to have I've, a red door to go into the further. <laughs> I... No, it's not. You need the red door to go into hell from the further. Well, Dalton does. Who's to say Dalton that does. anyone does? You know what? Else doesn't. We're gonna find out. That's true. <laughs> in, in, the next, in the next movie, the next Insidious movie, which is referred to as the Red Door. So we're gonna find out what the Red Door is. And let it be known that we're recording this like right when the Red Door just came out. Um, this is <laughs> this episode. Seen it? <laughs> yeah, we haven't seen it yet. This episode's going to come out, be coming out months later, <laughs> but... Yeah, so this is all speculatory. Yes, so I'm sure we will have different opinions when this um, actually comes out. Yeah, we'll, out. Get, we'll get to actually know where the red door goes. Because it does go to hell, and I mean, they didn't try to code it that hard. It's definitely hell. They're like, oh, he's the demon. He has cloven hooves for feet. And he likes Tiny and Tim. And he has... <laughs> long nails and it's like this is you're just this is just satan this the okay. thing you're describing is satan <laughs> well it's more like darth maul with hooves it's the it's the <laughs> devil it's it is textbook the devil card from the tarot card decks yeah that's true i mean he it's, doesn't have it's like a it's like horns. a baphomet kind of thing he is kind of baphometish but he's have horns i don't know i i feel like they they chose that design to have like a certain gravity to it and what would be like really scary for a kid yeah you know it's like this kind of otherworldly thing whereas josh's evil spirit that is after him is much more realistic and much more of like an adult kind of fear even though the black bride did haunt him when he was a child but like i said i really do like this movie and i think where it does shine as like one with you, what you said with the pacing the cinematography 
it's all the things like kind of around the story that I think like really augment it. The mm-hmm. sound design is like superior to most of cinema, in my most opinion. Most of cinema, yeah. I think Joseph Bashar's uh, writing for this is insane, yeah. and they created this score that is half very well constructed and composed, and then they also did a bunch of pre-recording work with just improvisation mm-hmm. that is so cool and then post-production and you cannot fault the post-production and joseph bishara is a electronic music is an electronic musician as well so they have a background in really well composed electronic music that they applied to an acoustic score yeah that's the- crazy the balance of it is like insane the tracking in this like the contrast and the tracking of this movie does so much in effect and like they use they very sparingly use this reverb that like almost does like this mickey mousing effect that's like kind of fake foam mickey mousing for example when renee's looking through the window of the new house and she sees like this little spirit boy dancing to the the tiptoe through the tulip song and it just and they do it again later when the the demon red face demon's like sharpening his claws or whatever and they have the same song playing where it's like you feel the focus into the song yeah and then it's taken away when you go back to like the more realistic element so like in the instance where i'm talking about renee like she goes back into the house and like the boy's not there anymore and like then this tiny tim song is like more in the background and then with the red face demon later it like goes back to josh like trying to get dalton out of these chains and it's like that that one's like a really fast cut but i really like the one with renee where she like you know you kind of get the camera following her back into the house and like it just kind of fades and just mm-hmm. that like acoustic focus and unfocus is really really powerful in my opinion yeah did you know that joseph bashara also acted in this movie who is he the demon the red face demon yeah what <laughs> well he did a great job he's, he's the red face demon he's bathsheba in the conjuring oh he's valak Bathsheba like, and valak are the same the same actor Person. and also <laughs> is composes like crazy yeah. like it's good music yeah it's really good it's insane because joseph bashara also did the music for the conjuring yeah well, i would assume if he, he was involved in any capacity he'd also be doing the music yeah but i think that what what is really great is that the conjuring is totally different mm-hmm. score wise and the differences between the insidious score and the conjuring score really show that they know what they're doing when they're composing because they have the chops to do both because The Conjuring is a far more classically oriented score. Yeah, I feel like... So it's really hard being like fans of both these franchises not to conflate them sometimes, right? Because of the overlap mm-hmm. of cast and and now we're finding out <laughs> uh, sound design, like even some direction and writing. Like, it's... It's difficult sometimes. It's like, okay, which which Patrick Wilson film is this? But I think that these things that we're talking about, like these things surrounding the story, really help to distinguish them from each other. Like like you said, even though Joseph Bichara is doing the sound for both of them, sorry, the soundtrack for both of them, just the way that he distinguishes them from each other, like I think helps to create yeah. the difference. Because The Conjuring, like in The Conjuring, I think that the characters are really like, the driving force and like just the character, yes. the dynamics between the characters, the driving force. 
in Insidious, in, in this first movie anyways, I do actually, like, this might be an unpopular opinion here, but I do think that the sound design is the driving force of, like, the oh. story and the horror. Full agree, yeah. The, the soundtrack makes this movie. Yeah, I actually said while we were watching it, I was like, I wonder if you watched this without the soundtrack or, like, just without sound at all. Like, would it suck? <laughs> this is a, definitely one of those movies where it's like, don't listen to critics, don't listen to reviews, go watch the movie and be that judge. Because I liked it, I think that it works, and I will defend it till I die. Thank you everyone for listening to this week's episode of Watch New Evil. This is Matt. And this is Zach. And remember folks, if you wind up at a red door in an attic, you've gone too far. Check out all the podcasts brought to you by Redwood Sound Labs. Finally, a podcast that's dedicated to talking about your favorite sports movies. Whether you want to hear a breakdown of the plot, arguments about who's the MVP of the film, or crit and lit about it, you'll find it all on Fields of Glory. Listen to the show that will help you live a better life with your beloved pets. It handles topics like proper food, nutrition, positive reinforcement training, and more. Certified dog behavior consultant Charlotte Peltz welcomes your pet concerns and questions in the podcast, Living With Your Dog. Zach and Matt are two horror movie enthusiasts of varying experience discussing horror movies through the scope of content, context, and comedy. They'll hit on the good ones and the classics, but they're really excited for the bad ones. Listen to Watch No Evil. Charles is a Purple Heart recipient and cinematographer. Aaron is a professor and critical cultural scholar. Together they explore the narrative, effective, and production politics of war cinema on the Real War Project. That's R-E-E-L, War Project. 